Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paul Ledagnan. During the month of October, it's Mental Illness Awareness Week. There are numerous things that are happening throughout the month and any time throughout the year in order to help with mental illness. Dr. David Palmiter is an area psychologist and professor of psychology at Marywood University. We caught up with Dr. Palmiter to tell us about some of the issues and some of the coping mechanisms. Dr. David Palmiter, give us a little idea of your background. Now you're involved right now at Marywood University. Yeah, I'm a professor of psychology at Marywood University. I've been there 20 years, and I also have a private practice in Clark Summit. And when you say private practice, it is in psychology? It's in clinical psychology, yes. Anything in particular that you are that you focus on either at school or in your private practice? I am a generalist, but I specialize in kids and couples work. Um, the written some books on those on those topics. And when we're talking um, to someone such as yourself, you're dealing, as you said, kids, couples, but uh, and it's nothing specific with each, is it? Or is it just an overview of mental health issues? What, whatever concerns people come in with, you know, de- depression, which I know we're going to be talking about now, uh, super common, anxiety, super common. Sometimes people come in because they're just more conflict in their marriage or their relationship than they care for, or their kid is getting into trouble, you know, at school or in other places, and they want help in understanding that and correcting that. You must have, since you have been doing this for, you started when you were a mere child, actually, <laughs> and you've been doing this for so long, but you must have seen a shift because now we're, you know, you talk about kids, so much more violence in schools, so much more fear, the opioid crisis, we're getting a higher number of suicides. Any explanation from your point of view? Oh, that's, a, that's probably one of the, we scientists would say, multifactorial, you know, and its causes. But uh, you've named some of the probably the low-hanging fruit on the, on the tree of causes. Um, I think there's less and less face-to-face relationship time, I think. Uh, one of my favorite books for lay people on depression is called Lost Connections, and the author makes a great point that just that time for relating to each other without being plugged into technology seems to shrink for a variety of reasons, some economic, some just by way of uh, choice. But that human connected connection time, that one-on-one time seems to shrink. One of the things I do in ev- with every single child or teen client in my practice is arranged for parents to spend one hour a week one-on-one with their kid doing nothing but 
uh, paying attention and enjoying the child or teen. And about 90% of parents will initially react like, well, this is no big thing. This is easy to do. And just about, it flips about 90% later, we'll then talk about how grillingly difficult it is to pull off on a consistent basis. When you're talking in that regard, too, is it becoming more and more evident that people are going in that direction, maybe because it's easier, that we don't have to have face-to-face contact anymore, we don't have to deal with all of the things that maybe even 10, 15 years ago we dealt with face-to-face, and we got through them. Now it's almost like we're brushing them under the rug. Well, I it takes. It seems like it takes people more time to get their stuff done. You know, the stuff we have to get done, whether it's a teen in high school trying to get into that quote-unquote good college or uh, just being working parents trying to manage a middle-class lifestyle. You know, it seems to take more time. And we tell ourselves that the time we'll give to our relationships is the time that remains after our obligations have been met. But in most families, that time's as mythical as the unicorn. Mm-hmm. And so just like... Cars will have indicator lights that go off or our teeth will have indicator lights when we're not, don't maintain them while our relationships do too, but we don't recognize the cause. We blame the other person. So we go to an affair or go to an online, free online sex chat room or, I mean, it's, it's staggering to me the number of memberships of websites that are designed for married people to hook up or have affairs or for people to have other kinds of self-numbing activity that they do. And at least I think a lot of it has to do with this shrinking time and not being wise. My my clients who do well, and I try to do this in my own life, it becomes what important things aren't going to get done this week, but on that list is not going to be the time with my kid or the time with my spouse if I'm if I'm married. That time is def, that's going to be front loaded into the week, and also then time for self care, mm. you know, and self love. It's it's. Ironic that we live in a culture of of self-entitlement and narcissism, but people really treat themselves very poorly and are are very mean to themselves. Um, None of us would treat a friend the way we treat ourselves, both verbally and behaviorally. Oh, we'd talk about them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'd definitely talk Mm -hmm. about them. Mm -hmm. So what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the depression or the situation? Well, um, that's a good question. It's, It's actually both. We don't think anymore nature versus nurture and science. It's always the two together. So there's there's a, a biological component that gets passed from um, by genes, you know, in families. We know that when you depression runs in your family, you have a higher risk of suffering from it. But then stress activates that vulnerability. Of course, sometimes the stress can be so mighty um, and, with, and a person might come into a depression even though it doesn't run in their family. It's usually some admixture of the two, genetic vulnerability and stress, but it can sometimes be, you know, just really heavy on one side versus the other. And is that kind of what you mean when you say we're bringing it on ourselves? Because again, we don't take care of ourselves, so it's almost everything's always going out, 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 but nothing comes back in from from ourself to ourself. Self-care is huge. Um, there's a, a, a little online checklist people can take if they're wondering about that by Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. And if you just Google her name and self-compassion, there's a free inventory. I have my students take it for extra credit. 
And a lot of them are surprised at how their score comes back, that they, they're low on self-compassion. Hmm. And we, we do seem to have a cultural epidemic with that. So as we're talking and we're getting more and more into the depression aspect of it, uh, it's, it's such a casually tossed around word. I'm depressed today because my team didn't win. I'm depressed because my favorite coffee wasn't available. That's not exactly, though, what you're talking about when you're talking about depression. So what exactly does depression mean? So, right. We all can have down days, a case of the blues, um, but that isn't depression. Depression is a list of symptoms that persist for at least a few weeks in a person's life. Um, none of these, you can have depression and not have all these symptoms, but some of the common ones we call vegetative symptoms where sleep, appetite, libido, concentration are all impaired. And sometimes the sleep can be oversleeping or undersleeping. But the body is uh, shutting down in these ways, um, and the person can't function because of these uh, ways the body's attacked. Of course, the mood is terrible, and it can be expressed by chronic irritability as well. But um, just feeling the, the thoughts that are often in a person's head is everything sucks, it's my fault, and it can't be changed. You know, that the, the way a person thinks, the way the depression attacks the person, it gets them to think these untrue things. Um, not taking pleasure from things that historically have been pleasurable. We call that anhedonia. Um, just the, the absence of joy, the ability to experience joy. Of course, suicidal ideation, thinking about suicide. Here in Pennsylvania, the CDC did a study, and in uh, 2016, the state experienced an uh, increase of over a third of suicide um, suicidality in our state, and it's the second leading cause of death from ages people age 15 to 24. Mm-hmm. It used to be the third leading cause when I was in graduate school, but now it's uh, hopped over to the sec- it's hopped up to the second leading cause. Heck, Paul, we have 16 million adults a year suffering from depression. A large, large majority of them don't get any kind of care for it, or the care they they get is not optimized at all. Um, and it's, depression is the number one cause of disability across the world. So then what happens when someone says, okay, I feel like I'm depressed, and you go to a physician? In, and is it still true that your primary care physician should be saying, have you felt depressed? Have you, like, that used to be the up-and-coming thing. Ooh, we're going to ask a question and hope we get an honest answer. And then you've got medicine involved. So the first part about the screening, I find it varies a lot. Uh, the physicians that I think are, are most on their game are more progressive, do that routinely. And I think there's other physicians that are afraid to do it because then they think if it comes back positive, now what do I do? They don't believe they have the referral places to send people to, or they just don't understand the process and it scares them, and so they stay away from it. Uh, but I think you're, you're on top of it. Progressive physicians do screen um, uh, regarding, what was the second part? I'm so sorry. as far as getting into meds. All right. So anybody who's taking medicine for mood or anxiety, and that's all they've tried, I would strongly suggest considering cognitive behavioral therapy. Which cognitive is? Cognitive behavioral therapy is the number one science-based talking treatment for correcting problems with mood and anxiety. And actually stress and anger, too, it can be helpful with. Now, talking See, most people don't know about cognitive behavioral therapy because there's no industry uh, 
funding commercials. There's no industry pushing a product. You know, cognitive behavioral therapy, though, if, if folks just go to Google Scholar, it's a subset of Google where they the search engine, search scientific articles, and just enter the terms cognitive behavioral therapy, depression. If you have a, you know, if you can understand some basic terms in science, you can see the overwhelming evidence that shows how uh, helpful cognitive behavioral therapy can be. And for many people, making it not necessary to take medicine or many other people never necessary to start taking medicine. Now, that's not a statement to say people should, I mean, I'm not a physician. I would never even, even my own client who I knew very well suggest that someone stop taking a medicine. But it is to say that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, ought to be a part of the discussion whenever someone's being treated for mood or anxiety. And so often it isn't, either because the person, the expert doesn't know about it themselves, um, or because of cost concerns, or who knows why. It's, it's easier to, to write a prescription than to explain what CBT may be, and time is short. I mean, I don't know the reasons for it, but it's striking to me how many people taking medicine for these things don't even know the term. We're talking with uh, Dr. David Palmiter, who is a psychologist and also a professor at Marywood University. And along those lines then, Dr. Palmiter, switching that, I am the patient, and you're suggesting that I go talk to someone. I don't want anyone to know about this. I don't want to have to talk about this. I might have to tell the truth, as we talked about earlier in our discussion, where there is no truth telling face-to-face anymore. Everything is texting, Facebooking, emailing. Well, I, I think it, at the core of that concern about stigma is this problem we have, this, this use of the word normal. And if I was emperor of the universe, we'd abolish it. Normal is based on what's normative, and we assume that if something's normative, it must be well and healthy. And, and asking how common is something is an important question. But the answer to that question stops way short of deciding whether or not someone is well or not. Mental health is not like pregnancy where you are or you aren't. And that's what the word normal suggests. And who wants to be in the abnormal basket? I know I wouldn't. There's words we think of those people. I mean, weak, complaining, self-indulgent, you know, get over your mommy and daddy issues, will you please walk it off, be tough, you know. Suck it up. Be be the Marlboro man, kind of, especially for men. (laughs) Um, so, but none of that has anything to do with reality. The reality is that wellness exists on a continuum and multiple continuums. We have our physical wellness. We have our relationship wellness. We have our vocational wellness. And there's, we, for those who believe in a higher power, spiritual wellness. And of course, we have our mental health wellness, which has several subsections. It's our mood. It's our ability to experience joy and meaning. It's our ability to do things when we don't feel like it. And all these things exist on a continuum. And for given phases of our life, some continuums may be rocking it. You know, they're doing really well and, and others aren't. But I would suggest that we all treat our mental health the way we do our physical things. You know, if our car is, is making noises that are mysterious to us and interfere with its functioning, we take it to an expert. Duh, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we do. It's the same thing if our teeth start to ache. Uh, we don't even think about, oh, people think I'm weak if I go and get my teeth exam. I mean, we just don't even go there in our thinking. But because we have this unfortunate way of thinking about normal and abnormal, which has nothing to do with reality, we uh, don't get the help we need. And most people who could benefit from mental health uh, care don't get it for that reason. Let's shift gears just a tad and 
continue with depression, but situational depression mm-hmm. where you have a major upheaval, mm-hmm. death in the family, yes. you're dealing with an illness, you're, whether it's your own or family, yes. loved one. Yes. What? How do you approach that then? Because you kind of know, okay, I'm going through this. I know I have to go through this. So I don't need anybody. So this is a very important question for those who have experienced the loss. The difference between grief and complicated grief and the difference between grief and depression. So grief is not depression. I mean, even though people can... Um, be very sad and very down and have a number of the symptoms I just mentioned. Grief is a natural process of losing someone who we love. And it, and it, 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 it's one place where the statement, um, time's a healer, is true. And so if over, let's say, a significant loss, um, you know, a person has a family member die, not a child, that's a different ca- category. I'll maybe comment on if you want. But um, it's going to take that year, you know, and off that, that first year of anniversaries of everything, the changes of the season, all the holidays we did. It takes that year of dealing with that pain. And then the second year gets easier. And usually by the third year, someone's feeling like, hey, I'm totally, I'm back to where I was. Yeah, I'll, I always still miss the person. So that is a natural process. When that gets stuck, when people make some mistakes, like trying to medicate it, with alcohol or drugs or gambling or promiscuity or any other kind of behavioral medications that we deploy. They try to medicate it too much, and they get stuck. And then they can develop complicated grief where time does not heal. Time stops. And that's the point where, where clinical intervention, cognitive behavioral therapy with a speci- special focus for grieving is indicated. I, um, a year or so ago, I spent a year serving the Navy SEAL community, mm. Gold Star Parents, um, and some of them, you could see, as I got to know them, some of them were doing awesome, you know, and they were actually become very wise, and their pain had indeed uh, ended up being a source of wisdom for them, and they were able to help others, and then others were stuck, and you could just see they were just stuck in time. Uh, the pain was as fresh as it was on the first day because of some of the mistakes that they were making and how they were dealing with their grief. And does that also have a possibility that it could mean PTSD? Because when you're talking gold star parents, when you're talking someone who loses someone in an accident, a violent act, um, you know, it's it's not. I guess it's it's never easier, but it's a lot different than someone who you know is coming to the end of the term of life. Yeah, PTSD is uh, just fractures of personality. Your basic assumptions about the universe have gone out the window, and you just can't function, uh, especially around anything that might remind you of the trauma. And that's another thing where time just stops. And it's another very treatable, especially if the PTSD is due to a single event. We kind of separate PTSD out into single event versus multiple event traumas. Like, you know, if someone's had someone die next to them in a car crash, that would be single event. And Versus I grew up with a stepfather who sexually molested me over time. That's a more complicated type of PTSD. A single event PTSD is highly treatable, highly treatable. And it's a version of cognitive behavioral therapy called trauma-focused. So it's CBT-TF, trauma-focused, cognitive, very treatable. And the repeated event trauma 
is often very treatable too. It just takes longer. It's more complicated. There, there can be more co-occurring problems to be dealt with. Do you think that there's also the whole thought of, of people nowadays too expecting everything to happen now? So this has happened. It was. It's. It's been two months. I should be this way. I should be that way. People telling you again. We go back to the whole depression discussion that we had. As far as suck it up, you should be better than this now. Yeah. I and mean, we we've kind of lost the time when we have to heal because we don't remember what it was like to learn how to walk and how many times we fell down and had to get back up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, any any uh, transformative change, of course, takes some effort. On the one side, on the other side, I think people have a right to hold their treatment providers accountable. One of the things I do is form um, treatment plans when I'm working with people that include measurable changes that should occur. And if we're not seeing progress towards those changes, then that suggests the approach isn't indicate isn't isn't good. I mean, there are I think sometimes there can be therapies that. Um, could possibly be curative, but end up just being a support, just up being a, an, an intelligent, kind person in my life without me necessarily getting better. And there are instances where that's indicated. We call it supportive psychotherapy. But I think a lot of times people are in treatment, have a right to expect transformative change and to have that be measurable. And in a, in a time frame that, that they can uh, see it. One of the, that's one of the discussions I have with my clients around on treatment is what kind of prognosis, what kind of rate of change might we expect? And it usually takes only a few visits to be able to get some kind of a feel for that. And if uh, anyone is listening and they would like to get some more information, you mentioned that you've written several books. Do you have your books as well as other places? Um, you, mis- you mentioned Google Scholar to find out some of the different things Sure, I can give you a few things. Well, first of all, there's a, a clinic at Marywood for folks who are concerned about the costs of treatment of the Psychological Services Center. I think I was talking with the director there, Dr. Matthew Schaefer. I think they said the average fee is like 5 to $10 a visit, and that number is 570-348-6269. Uh, one of my books is a parenting book on how to promote resilience in kids ages 4 to 12, what parents can do uh, in the to maximize their kids' adjustment, their kids' mental health, and that's called uh, Working Parents, Thriving Families. Um, and then the, the other book I've written is for mental health professionals. I think for depression, my one of my favorite books for lay people is called Lost Connections. It's a it's a bestseller, and, and, the, and the author is hammering away at this misconception that we have that depression is due to a chemical imbalance in the brain. Um, there really isn't any credible evidence for that assertion, as common as believed in our culture. Um, in terms of uh, a book, a good book for producing happiness, uh, meaning and joy in a person's life, I love uh, The How of Happiness by Sonia Luya-Bamirsky. That's a great book. But folks who wanted other specific recommendations could feel free to email me. You know, I have uh, a lot of uh, self-help books that I have in mind on my bookshelf that I refer people to given their specific needs. Um, And it's just my last name, palmiter at marywood.edu. Thanks again to Dr. David Palmiter for joining us on Special Edition. Don't go away. There's more to come.
Welcome back to Special Edition. We now meet Carol Zubris with Penn State Extension. She has a healthy nutrition program that she brings to people in three counties and has a little bit of information about some delicious recipes for us today. Carol, thank you for coming by today and telling us about this program from Penn State Extension. Now, who are you gearing this program toward? Okay, Penn State Nutrition League's the Cooperative Extension, where I'm located at, is located in Pittston, Pennsylvania. But I cover three counties. I cover Lackawanna, Luzerne, and Wyoming County. And our primary audience is senior citizens and youth and families who meet the eligibility for SNAP-Ed, which is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistant Program, and the FNIP Program, which is Pennsylvania's Expanded Food and Nutrition Program. And we have these sites that are approved, and I reach out to them, so I teach them a nutrition class. So I've been going to senior citizen centers. Our primary audience is senior citizen centers, Head Start, Rest Care, the Hazleton One Center I just attended and represented Penn State at the Joe Madden facility now that he's he's trying to integrate everyone in that community one center. It was a fantastic, fantastic place to be. It was there's one thing about this program, even though there are many language barriers, because I'm reaching out to as well as the Hispanic community and other Um, non-English speaking people. The one thing about this program is food brings people together. But what I do, I pass out recipes approved by Penn State and I pass out recipes and I don't just sit there. I bring the audience up. I show them how to cut a carrot, how to wash cans off properly, how to shop, how to budget with a PowerPoint presentation. And we just don't sit there. We get up and we move. One of our programs are called Eating Smart, Moving More. I get the senior citizens come up. We do a Penn State cheer. I get them motivated. (laughs) I do. We do the wave. I put on a polka and we dance. We have a good time because they think they're going into a little classroom and they're going to sit there for an hour and be bored. Not with me. I get them up and moving. I do the same. Same thing with my youth. I bring out a hula hoop, and they're like, oh, what are we going to do with that? Of course, we're going to do a hula hoop because we're getting up, and we're doing an activity. And when you do an activity with people, it breaks the ice. It breaks that stigma of, oh, I have to be here at this class. But these classes are so fundamental for someone who is going to work in the food industry, which is a very strong industry in our area. What I had to take and what a lot of our recipients have to take is called Food Safety Training for Penn State University, which is the Serve Safe exam. Okay, it's a proctored exam, and all of us have to be certified every couple of years to do that. A lot of our participants in the program who work in the food industry is mandatory that they take this exam. And one of the classes that we teach is food safety, food handling. That's why when we go to class, we bring them, uh, we teach them how to calibrate with their food with a special thermometer that we give to them, and we give them a lot of incentives. Uh, proper food testing, proper food storage. We give them little thermometers. We give them cookbooks, both in Spanish and in English. Little incentives. So every time you come to class, you just get a little incentive. And when you graduate after the program in four weeks, you get a fabulous gift bag. But after that, what they do, you get from Penn State Extension and Penn State University, you get a Nutrition Links Certificate of Achievement. 
It says for the completion of a nutrition links classes that include nutrition education, food preparation, food resource management, food safety, and meal planning. But is this something that everybody gets? Everybody gets. Everybody Everybody gets this who participates in the program. So what if you're just going to go in and teach the, um, as you mentioned in the very beginning of our interview, when you were talking about the people that you talked to about making food. So is that something entirely different? No, it's still the same. We still still have the the same. same four series. They will get a certificate of achievement for participating in the class. And the good thing about the certificate is that they can use this on their resume if they are going for, you know, any kind of position in the food industry because this demonstrates that they participated in this program. And that's why it's very key and instrumental for our younger people that are in it that are working in the food industry because now they cross one barrier in order to get into working into their other position or taking this test because it's a very hard exam. Is there a charge? Yes, there is a charge. I don't know what it varies, but it is expensive and it depends on your employer if they'll pay for it. But yeah, you have to take the test and there's a book that you can get for it too as well online. But you know, it's mandatory right now in the food industry is to make sure you take this exam. in order to get a job. Exactly. So what happens if you go to, let's say, one of the senior centers? Or as you mentioned, right. you were at uh, you were in Hazleton, and you were at the community center there just doing a program. What kind of things, and can someone call you and say, hey, Carol, I'd like to uh, bring you into my uh, senior center and talk a little bit about good nutrition for seniors who are always trying to save money and unfortunately might be cutting the wrong corners. That's absolutely what I do. A lot of times I just present a one-day workshop into a senior citizen center and to maybe a school or Head Start. Right now I was also work. I'm going to be also working into the Hazleton School District in their classrooms with our program as well to reach out to our youth and families that are participating in this program. So that's a that's one of the major things that are happening this year. Yes, it's very important for us to get the word out about safety, food safety and nutrition because we want to focus on proper hand washing. You know, that's the number one problem right now that people are not washing their hands properly enough and just have to reiterate how important that little task is that could save someone from getting very, very sick. It's just a simple bullet point processes that we do that we teach and to get through the classroom and it it's so beneficial this program has been going on for close to 40 years with Penn State so it falls underneath the umbrella of the Department of Agriculture and I'm just a privilege to be part of this program. Now, is there a charge for that aspect? No. Let's say the, the school district somewhere in all the counties that you serve, what if they're hearing this and they find that this is something that they would like? Because we all took home ec. We did. When we, were, when we were way back when. Think about this. I have, I'm teaching my home ec class out on the road. Yes. So that's what I basically do. It is free to participants who meet the eligibility for this program. And it's, it's a great program. That's what they want to reiterate, that the participants must reach the eligibility for the program. Okay, and if they do, then they are more than welcome to be part of that. We can be reached on our website at extension.psu.edu or just a simple phone call to our our Luzerne County office at 570-825-1701. Now, since you've been doing this, do you have a favorite recipe that you like to share with the uh, seniors or the students or anybody that you're uh, that you've come across. One of our favorite recipes is a fruit smoothie. They love it because it's something really, really delicious instead of a vegetable or meat because it's something 
that people really don't make for themselves to get out a blender, mix all your fresh frozen or canned fruits into a blender and mix them all up or with ice and share them. And I teach them how, you know, to use the blender. A lot of our participants have never used a blender. You know, it's a scary thing if you never used a blender before. Properly put the vegetables or the fresh fruits in it. I teach them about, you know, to rinse all the sugar off fruit or that come out of the cans or well, or as well as in a bag from the grocery store that have the frost off them. Get all that extra sugar off. Dry it off. Put it in the smoothie. It's such a hit with the young and old. And we can freeze it after if we have some left over. We put them in Ziploc bags and we put a straw in it and it makes like a frozen little popsicle later. Delicious. So that's, that's always... <laughs> Always, always a hit. Now, right now, we're experimenting a little bit with uh, frozen bananas. <gasps> so what we do, we don't throw away your bananas if they're they're brown or spotted. <laughs> that's the that's the best part. That's at the height of their their uh, usefulness. Nutrition. <laughs> I know they're loaded with their nutrients at that time. So what you can do, you can freeze your banana. Then after you're done, put them in the blender. Add some frozen yogurt or regular yogurt, a couple ice cubes, and there you go. And it's fantastic. People always like that. And I always just give a little sample, you know. And it's just enough to please the pal and say, I can do this at home. You know, it's great. That you know, they really, like, really enjoy it. That sounds amazing. We show them how to use an electric skillet safely, uh, make a salad at home, something easy, a trail mix, just something, you know, instead of potato chips and pretzels, uh, make a corn and a corn and black bean salsa, and instead of using potato chips, cut up a portobello mushroom, cucumber, zucchini, or cut up a couple red peppers, green peppers, use them as an arc and scoot them all up. Because if we don't eat our fruits and vegetables, we're missing out on all those nutrients. It's going to he- help us keep our bones stronger, longer, our teeth, our skin. If you look like what you eat, that's what they say. You are what you eat. If you eat good, you're going to look good, and you're going to last a very long time on this earth. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> if you eat your more of it, eat more of your vegetables and fill up on the fiber, because that's what we want to do is teach people how to eat more of fruits and vegetables and stretch their food dollar. Because if you fill up on junk, you're not going to be satisfied. If you fill up on fruits and vegetable, the volumetrics in those in those vegetables, they fill you up all day long. How do you feel after you eat watermelon? Yeah. Yeah, it fills you up. Or it frozen does gra- It, it does. That has the volumetrics in it. Carol Zubris, you are amazing. I well, am thank you. so glad that you came by. This is so much fun. I'm sure that uh, hearing this, just a couple of rest, I'm starved now. So I'm going to go and maybe you can make me one of those fruit smoothies before we uh, leave here today. But again, give us the contact information for you so that we can get in touch with you. Because I have a feeling that a lot of other people have... Uh, it's, it's a great program. It's wet their palate. You would never know this little secret uh, program is out there, but it is out there. It's been at Penn State, Luzerne County. I am not the only one who does this. There are several of us that have several counties throughout Pennsylvania, and you have a website. Yeah, we do have a website. Okay, here's our website. It's extension.psu.edu. And we are located, my office is located at Penn State Extension, the Luzerne County office at 16 Luzerne Avenue in West Pittston, 18643. And just give us a call at 570-825-1701. All right, remember Penn State, we are teaching people how to eat better for less. We'll have to have Carol Zuberus back again soon on Special Edition to give us some more of those delicious recipes that are so easy and inexpensive to make. Now on Special Edition... 
Author and journalist Ben Bradley Jr. was in Luzerne County this week. Before he was book signing, he was talking with Intercom's Jason Barsky. This is uh, Ben Bradley uh, Jr. You are an you know, investigative journalist and author, and the new book is called The Forgotten. Again, how the people of one Pennsylvania county elected Donald Trump and changed America. Wow, this is a powerful book full of stories that are, of course, local to this area, Luzerne County, and how lives were affected by this 2016 election. I mean, Well, I think the premise of the book is that more than half the country um, was shocked that a candidate as unusual as Donald Trump got elected president. And um, I think there remains in the country a great divide about this, and that there was a hunger to know more uh, about Trump voters and their reasons for uh, voting for the president. And I was fascinated by Trump's emergence on the, on the, the Republican scene. I mean, here was a guy who... Uh, with no political experience, uh, real estate magnate, a reality TV show star, who said and did things along the way that um, were so controversial and that would have destroyed any other candidate. Yeah. But this guy was Teflon. He kept on going. And uh, so there was something there that really appealed to people. And combing through the, uh, of course, the election was decided in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And combing through the Pennsylvania vote, I discovered uh, Luzerne County, traditionally Democratic county, uh, which had voted for Obama twice, but surged in the other direction for Trump. He won it by... 20 points and built up such a margin in that one county that it comprised 60% of his victory margin in Pennsylvania. So without Luzerne, he wouldn't have won Pennsylvania or perhaps the presidency. Yeah. So I went down there and started poking around, um, introducing myself to community leaders who put me in touch with uh, people they knew who had voted for Trump. And over the next year and a half, um, returned to the county uh, many times and interviewed uh, perhaps 100 Trump voters in depth, and of those, selected 12 um, whose stories I told in the book. And I think uh, writ large, uh, their stories reveal a lot about um, who voted for Trump and why. Lynette, is it is it pronounced Villano? Yes, Lynette Villano. She's going to be. Um, she's one of the characters featured in the book, and um, I think it's funny that you called her a character because really, uh, there's an article. The article I read was in Politico, uh, on Politico.com, and uh, it just says I found Trump's biggest fan, and it just tells this story about how her family, you know, split. Uh, parts of her family split over this election, and you have detailed text messages between her and her grandson, and uh, you know, she, you know, to her credit. As hard as it is, she's standing, you know, sticking her ground, you know, digging her heels in, and she's owning her love of the president. Well, it's a, it's a it's a dramatic story. You're referring to a, a an excerpt from the book, a adapted excerpt uh, that ran in Politico last week, and um, you know, this country, this election was very emotional and affected people in different ways, and. Uh, Family conversations around holidays were often difficult um, when you got when you had some people voting for Trump, others for Hillary, 
And uh, there's a lot of raw emotion about the election that still remains. And Lynette's story about um, the uh, tension that she had with her grandson over this, uh, I thought was very revealing and illustrates the great divide that remains in the country. And the question is, how do both sides begin talking to each other again? And that's one of the things I mentioned to you when we talked yesterday. I just uh, officially got this spot. Uh, and, you know, I've been doing about, about three weeks now. One of the things I kind of, I wouldn't say preach, I hate using that word, but I try to just say, look, we can agree to disagree as long as we're respectful to each other and we can have a conversation. That's kind of what I'm all about because this idea that you have to just stick to one side baffles me. I just feel like things are just so polarized now because people you know, treat politics like sports and they take their, you know, talk to a Yankee fan today, but they won't give you a hug. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people get very passionate about this stuff and it gets, you know, it just gets people fired up and people don't think I'm genuine when I say this, but I would love to hear both sides of the story. I want to hear people I disagree with versus, you know, it, it, it's just a very complex situation. I, I, you know, I, were you surprised by what you found in Luzerne County? Well, I think I learned a lot. You know, I'm 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 from uh, Boston and Massachusetts, a blue state, and uh, you know there are many bubbles throughout the country. Yeah, and you look at a map of the country, uh, county by county, uh, and the election results look like a, a sea of red um, with only blue pockets on either coast. So for me, it was uh, it was an educational experience too to learn much more about uh, Trump voters and why they uh, voted for him, and you know the depth of uh, alienation I guess that existed in the country, uh, people who who felt marginalized by uh, flat or falling wages uh, or, or isolated by a liberal culture that mocked their faith and patriotism. Uh, they felt that others were cutting in line, uh, as it were, taking too much money from uh, people who could work, um, and they felt a loss of dignity. I think, and uh, Trump, Trump tapped into this. And one of the characters in the book says that people tend to fall in love with their therapist because they feel listened to, and I think. Trump folks there felt that Trump really listened to them, and uh, you, you mentioned. I'm sorry, you mentioned that uh, Luzerne, Luzerne County voted for Obama twice. Uh, Paul from uh, Dallas, he, he texted in and said the reason, in his opinion, I guess the reason Obama won was because people have a big heart here. They believe in the hope and they hope for that change when they didn't get it. Somebody else who spoke up and said, I'm listening to you, really just captivated them. Do you find people, you know, with any buyer's remorse or regret over this? Or are they just, my experience is they're still all in and they're like, look, I want to give this guy a chance to do what he said and he's doing it so far. Well, my my folks, uh, of the 12 main characters that I, uh, I keep calling them characters, people, uh, but but characters in the book of the of the 12 that I feature, um, 11 said 11 of the 12 said that if the election, uh, the 2020 election, were to be held tomorrow, uh, they were still all in for Trump and enthusiastically so. Whereas only one of the 12 had drifted into the undecided category. And this is a question I've asked certain people and, you know, personally, like, you know, ask the people, you know, do you support him because 
you know, you believe he has your best interest? Do you, do you actually see things getting better for you? Or is it just you have committed to this guy and you believe in him? Like, you know, there's a difference. Like, I've asked people, like, well, how is your life better? And they go, well, we're working on that. And it's a work in progress. Do they still believe the best is yet to come? I, I think in order to vote for someone, you have to have a, a you, you have to like them personally, yeah. and and that that often matters more than issues. Uh, some of my people, I think, disagreed with some of the things that he's done, uh, but they still just uh, overwhelmingly like him and pull for him. And um, so I think one question going forward uh, in the country will be to what extent. Trump has started up a movement which will outlast him, or whether uh, this movement is based more on on the power of his personality. And, yeah, that, uh, I mean that's interesting because I know a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, targeted Barack Obama for that. He's all, you know, he's all speech, and you know, but I, I think there's something to that about the president. You know, he's he's blunt, and he's he's like that uncle everyone has who you know tells it like it is, and it's uncomfortable, but you laugh and. You know, you know he'd be, be there for you two in the morning oh, yeah. if you got a flat tire. There's something about that. There's a- they like that. They they they, they loved his being. Uh, it, it's become a cliche, but they loved his being politically incorrect, and uh, they felt that uh, he liberated them to say things uh, which were perhaps previously considered taboo. Do you make any predictions personally, or is it just you try to stay as impartial as possible? Do you say, you know, where do you think this is going? From you what mean, you in the country as a whole, like where do you do you think it's? But they don't affect him at all. So how do you defeat someone like that? I, I, yeah, I wouldn't bet against Trump. Uh, people people have uh, constantly wrote him off during the, the course of the campaign. He would say something outrageous, and then the overwhelming reaction would be, "Well, how can he survive this?" But he did, and uh, he he seems to have behaved as president. I think he's. Uh, behaved more as president of his own base than he has over the uh, president of the country. He, he pledged in his uh, acceptance speech on election night to try and unite the country, uh, but he really hasn't. He um, he goes out and and uh, has these continues to have his uh, rallies in favored states around the country. He's. You know, in the in, in the aftermath of the Kavanaugh thing, uh, he politicized the Kavanaugh nomination as he swore him in from the White House. Uh, whereas Kavanaugh himself tried to strike a more unifying theme, he hasn't really tried to expand his base as president, yeah. and that would not appear to be a winning re-election strategy. But you got to remember that two of the last three presidents. Uh, Trump and George W. Bush have been elected without winning the popular vote. There's a, there's a strategy in the, in the numbers there. Uh, Jason, can you ask Ben, how can Trump unite the country if the hatred is so strong and the propaganda machines of media, sports, music, and Hollywood trash him every day and every night? Well, that, I think that's the $64,000 question. Um, and I think one interesting thing to watch for in the... Um, emerging presidential campaign after the midterms you know the the democrats are going to start to uh, coalesce and advance their presidential candidates and i think one interesting thing to watch for since the country is so divided now whether a, a democrat will emerge 
who will run essentially on a unity platform that we need to come together. Um, I think, look, it's all about leadership. And uh, Trump did say on the, in accepting the, the, on election night the results that he would try to unify the country. And that's what's traditionally done after a hard-fought fought, fought campaign. Right. This is about leadership. I mean, he, he can... It's true that there's a lot of hate on the other side, but um, he could, uh, as president, he's the president of the country. He's the only president of the country. Yeah. He could uh, transcend that and say, look, I know there's been a lot of slings and arrows in, in my direction, uh, but I think it is time to uh, reach out to the other other side and unite, and rather than... Um, condemning Democrats all the time. He could uh, extend them an olive branch, and he hasn't done that so far. We're, 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 all, we're all one country. You know, we're, all, we're all Americans, and I think we have to find a way to, uh, to talk to each other. And I'm, I'm hoping that this book uh, might be a bridge for doing that. Again, the title of Bradley's book, The Forgotten, How the People of One Pennsylvania County Elected Donald Trump and Changed America. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.